Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program that gets you inside NRG Stadium, which is considerably warmer than it is outside today. The players not inside for much of practice. I didn't see how they wrapped it up. Maybe they went back inside, but they were out there in the cold and the rain today. And the general is inside with us here in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio across the hall from the locker room. And John McClain, how are you doing? You must be ready for a big weekend like we all are. I am more excited about this regular season game than any Texans game I've covered. And it reminds me, just from my own personal standpoint, Back when the Oilers and Steelers played in the regular season every year, and the Oilers beat them regularly, it was just, it was just exciting. And mm-hmm. this time, it's because of Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson. What's at stake for both teams? Two first place teams, first of a treacherous three game stretch for the Texans, but a lot of national media coming to this game because mm-hmm. of Jackson and Watson. And uh, Texans have never won at M&T Bank Stadium, and I just. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be high scoring. And, Mark, I think it's going to be so much fun to be there. It's a great setting, great stadium right there by the Camden Yards and the harbor downtown. And I'm really pumped about it. Everybody is, John. And this MVP talk is hard to escape. I know it's about these teams getting together. But Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson, look, Lamar Jackson has a ton of hype right now. I think the winner of this one is going to get just a voluminous amount of hype, and it's going to be deafening going into whatever the next game is for each of these teams. Obviously, for the Texans, it's the Colts on Thursday night. But don't you think a lot of this MVP talk is a week-to-week kind of thing? Well, it's Russell Wilson's going to win the MVP. This is about who's going to be second. You really think so? Oh, my goodness, yes. And the way he pulled out that game at San Francisco. Well, he threw a pick, too, in the red zone. Well, but everybody throws picks. (laughs) Okay. Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson aren't going to win. Either one is not going to win the MVP unless Seattle craters. Uh, What if Seattle finishes second? He had one. He threw an interception. That was his second of the year. He leads the league in touchdown mm. passes. Now, he did lose at home to Lamar Jackson. Yep. But uh, the key for Watson is this one, of course, but if he were to play well and they lose, he's got two back-to-back nationally televised games against Indianapolis and New England. Those are going to be seen by a lot of voters. Mm-hmm. Those are also very important. And, yeah, it, it's a week-to-week to me for who's – going to be pressing on uh, Russell Wilson. All right, John, what is the biggest key to this one? Let me just go simplistic here. What's the biggest key to this game? I know each team wants to shut down the mobility or limit the mobility of the opposing quarterback, but I know it goes deeper than that as well. The Texans have been horrendous in the first quarter, the offense. Only Washington has scored fewer points in the first quarter than the Texans. Guess who's tied with the Texans? Cincinnati. What does Cincinnati and Washington have in common? One victory. Mm. The Ravens are number two in scoring in the first quarter, two points behind New England. They play ahead. That's one reason they run the ball a lot. If the Texans could make some plays, score on the first drive, make them have to throw the ball because they haven't had to throw the ball to come from behind. Can they do it? Sure. Cleveland beat them at M&T Bank Stadium, and they lost to Kansas City on the road. Texans beat the Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium. Can the Texans win this game? Sure they can. But turnovers, turnovers, of course. I believe that Romeo Cordell's defense, giving up 84.1 a game against the run, is going to shut down Ingram, going to shut down Edwards, 
The key is, can they contain Jackson? And you think, Mark, okay, they need to control the ball. Cincinnati controlled it for 36 minutes and 11 seconds and got beat uh, 49-13 to 13 because they got behind, had to throw, not good at throwing, plus Baltimore's defense scored two touchdowns. Ravens' defense has five touchdowns on returns. Texans have one. But I don't think either one of these defenses can keep up with the offenses. It wouldn't surprise me if they don't score in the 30s. I picked it Ravens 27-24. And I can't wait to see, number one, what Romeo Cornell comes up with for Lamar Jackson. But also, and as I wrote a column today, Thursday, Wink Martindale, their defensive coordinator, it's hard for him. He's got to worry about Watson, the league's number four running game. Tight ends with eight touchdown catches, including six by Darren Fells. DeAndre Hopkins with 68 catches. Kenny Stills with the deep speed. I don't know if Will Fuller's coming back, but that causes him to lose even more sleep. Not many teams have as many weapons on offense as the Texans do. Yeah, and I think one of the big surprises, you and I talked about it last week, the Texans running game this season based on the fact that we didn't know who the backs were going to be, really, until they acquired Duke Johnson. Lamar Miller gets hurt, and then you get Carlos Hyde in there in that late acquisition, and they've done all this damage. Can they run the ball against Baltimore? Can they get that done with the backs, John? Never mind Watson. It's not like Ray Lewis and Elodie Nada and Terrell Suggs are on that other side of the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, they can run. Their strength is in their secondary. You know, they've added. Earl Thomas, they traded for Marcus Peters. He has two pick sixes after that trade from the Rams where he was not playing well. But their front seven is nothing special, certainly nothing like what the Texans used to have to go up against. Another key, for only the fourth time this season, the Texans are going to have their five starters they want on the field in the offensive line. Yep. They're 3-0 and when those guys are together. So that's a big deal. Having those five starters out there with Titus Howard having a game back from his spring MCL and uh, should be very good if they can keep the uh, pre-snap penalties to a minimum. Well, that's a big factor, and the turnovers, they've been able to cut down on those considerably, so that's a good thing as well. Now, what about in the secondary, John? They make another move with Vernon Hargraves joining the team. You're just getting used to Gary and Conley back there. Roby, I'm not. I'm not sure what his status is going to be, but I don't think Roby's coming back. Well, they got a lot. They got a lot of options back there. A lot of different directions they can go, and I know special teams figures into it as well. They're trying to stockpile as many former number one picks at cornerback as they can. Mm. They've got even Jonathan Joseph was a number one pick. All corners that play other than Lonnie Johnson, that's top six, five, are former number one picks. And Hargraves, and the key to these guys, other teams didn't want them. Denver didn't want Bradley Roby. Oakland obviously did not want Gary and Conley. Buccaneers have given up on them, and they're all young. Roby's the oldest at 27, so they've got a chance to be here for a while, not just come in and they'll be gone after this season. Tashawn Gibson's back. That gives makes them three deep at safety. Jalila Dye played with that Chargers team that beat the, them in the playoffs and totally shut down Lamar Jackson. I'm sure he's given them some tips about how to play against him. But this, even without Roby, this will be the strongest the defense has been in a long time. You know, J.J.'s gone, nothing you can do about that. But the Texans are in better shape physically than they have been since early in the season. 
Well, Johnny pointed this out last night, how John Harbaugh, during his press conference, talked about Reader right off the bat, how well Reader has done and what he means to this defense. And I know you're on a lot of -of out-of-town shows. They ask you about Watt all the time. We're used to the idea now, after a few weeks of J.J. not being in the lineup, but everybody wants to know about that. What do you think of no J.J. in the lineup here and the way they're coping, handling it? There are only two games in as of this coming Sunday. I was stunned that the Texans were able to get the kind of pressure they did on Gardner Minshew. Mm -hmm. And he had hurt them for 56 yards rushing in the first game. And he made a couple plays where he avoided the rush and he completed a 31-yard pass. But other than that, they totally shut him down, frustrated him. He was throwing balls that he hadn't thrown all year. People ask me about the defense, and I point out about Reader. You know, nobody talks about a nose tackle. But Romeo Cornell's using him as a three technique, a five technique. He's moving him around because, number one, he doesn't have water clowny. Number two, he's versatile enough to do it. Right right now, if I had to pick somebody on the defense who's been the best, it would be D.J. Reader and Zach Cunningham. Both will play significant roles going against Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore offense. And Jackson, we know he runs all over the place. You know, the one thing about this, John, is, yes, he can throw the ball well. We've seen the two perfect passer rating games. I know the competition wasn't that good. Miami and Cincinnati had eight touchdowns against those two teams, seven touchdowns, five interceptions against everybody else. I think what bothers me as if I was a Ravens fan is that he is the leading rusher on the team. I know Ingram is very dangerous, but – I just don't think you ever want, even in this day and age, your quarterback to be the leading rusher on the team. That's the way Greg Roman has drawn it up. They have designed runs for him. Now, I'll tell you something. If if he pitches the ball, that means that if he pitches on a running play, he can still be hit. Mm-hmm. If he pitches like he did in that Heisman backfield, RG3, which everybody's talking about, it gained like three yards. Somebody <laughs> needs to cl- just – clean his clock all right so he's not a passer at that point if he rolls out and pitches on a design play bam hit him Mm -hmm. they won't do it again but the problem with jackson even when you know what to do even when you get to him and you're going to bring him down he's still so elusive i've used all week that it's like he's got grease all over his uniform guys get a hand on him and they can't bring him down he's got spin moves He's got head fakes. Mm-hmm. He's got loose hips where he can get away from tackles down there. He's the best running back on the field. He is, and he's just like Michael Vick always was. He's got great instincts for running. He'd make a great running back. He'd make a great wide receiver. Of course, now he's make, becoming a great quarterback, and he's just fascinating to watch, just as he was when we saw him first few times at Louisville. You know, the Ravens are a terrific organization, and Harbaugh, his first year was 2008. Flacco joins the team that year as well as a rookie. And the first five years, they get to the playoffs each of those years, win a playoff game at least each of those years. They eventually win a Super Bowl. I don't think we talk about Harbaugh enough as one of the good coaches, maybe the great coaches in this game. He's lasted a long time. He's won a championship. It's hard to win a championship. Pete Carroll only has one. You know, look, Andy Reid has none. I mean, Harbaugh is one of the great coaches in this game. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah. and last year they were one of them fired. Yeah. Remember, there was all that talk. John mm-hmm. Harbaugh, his time's run out, make a move. Then he went to Lamar Jackson, and the rest is history. I think he got an extension in the off season. And one of the good things about Harbaugh, this is what Don Shula did. Shula won a Super Bowl with Bob Greasy throwing like 
10 passes a game. Yep. And then he went to Dan Marino in 83, and then he really opened it up in 84, and they went to the Super Bowl with Marino having the greatest season of any quarterback in history at that point. And Harbaugh has a statue, Joe Flacco, in the, in the pocket every play. And then now he has let Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator, design a new wave offense that utilizes the quarterback as a runner, not as a last resort. You know, Deshaun is supposed to always be looking down the field to throw the ball. I saw a stat earlier, next generation stats. Watson has thrown, completed more passes outside the pocket than anybody in the league, which kind of surprises me, especially with Jackson. But uh, they want Deshaun to throw first and run as a last resort, where it's like Jackson, they have designed runs for him. And RG3 is with him. And I know Robert a little bit, and I've talked to him in the past. His his rookie year, remember, he was a great runner. He ran for over 700 yards, had seven or eight touchdowns. Boom, one wrong hit. Basically ruined his career, blew out two ligaments. Now he broke his ankle again, but that's all it takes is one or one freak play, like Deshaun Watson on the little toss in practice. Boom, there goes his ACL. They're exposing Jackson to more risk. He's great at avoiding uh, direct hits, but, man, it only takes one. It only takes one. Don't you feel like Watson's doing a much better job protecting himself this year than last year? Except his eye when he let his eye get in the way of a foot. Of a foot. I mean, really. Yeah, you know, People think talking about that play that Jackson made last week running 48 yards and touchdown, that's the best play of the season. Excuse me? The best play of the season when you get kicked in the eye and you have to reach up and adjust your face mask as you're being pulled down and you throw a touchdown pass. That will be the best play of the season no matter what. I think it should be. I think you're right. That Jackson run was phenomenal. but Kind of reminded me of Watson in his rookie year at Cincinnati. A little bit, but it was a little bit different as well. The spin move was amazing. All right, the general stays with us. The opening segment, one gigantic hot read presented by Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Let's go around the league. AFC South matchups, and the general is on a special blue ribbon panel that you're going to need to know about. We'll talk about it on Texans Radio. Keeping your company Thursday evening. That means the general is in the house. John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. And, John, let's bounce around the league a little bit here. Of course, the Texans and Ravens getting together on Sunday in Baltimore. It is going to be an epic showdown. The hype, I mean, it's deafening right now. I am so into this one. But let's talk about the AFC South. The Colts hosting the Jaguars. This is a desperate game for Jacksonville. They're going to bring Nick Foles back. The Colts, they need to bounce back big after losing a couple in a row. What do you think? You guess, you just guess that Nick Foles ought to be a little rusty, right, since being out since the first game of the season. I would think so, maybe. Is Jacoby Brissett going to be rusty, worrying about his uh, sprained MCL? Mm -hmm. But, of course, they're better off with Brissett uh, instead of Brian Hoyer at three interceptions last week. And Adam Vinatieri missing another, I think, his sixth extra point. You surprised they didn't bring anybody else in? They did to work out, but they didn't sign anybody. And I don't think they will get away from him because he's Adam Vinatieri. Do you want to cut Adam Vinatieri? I don't think so. And and he missed that extra point, which meant when they got the ball to 16-yard line, first and 10, they had to throw because they were down by four. Mm-hmm. And had he not missed that extra point, they would have kicked and, and sent it into overtime. 
So those are big misses. The one at Pittsburgh was big because they play close games. And yep. T.Y. Hilton's been out, too. I'm picking the Colts, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. Market Foles is sharp if Jacksonville doesn't win that game, and that would throw everything into chaos. You'd have three five and 5-5 five teams behind the Texans. Yeah, Jacksonville did not look good against the Texans, but the Texans had a lot to do with that, and here comes Nick Foles, and maybe he gives them a little boost. Hey, the Patriots are going to be here December 1st, and they're going to visit the Eagles in the late game on Sunday afternoon. And even though the Patriots are 8-1, I would not put it past the 5-4 and four Eagles at home to upset the Patriots. What do you think of this one? I wouldn't put it past them either. The Eagles are trying to stay tied with the Cowboys in the NFC East, but... New England, everybody made such a big deal about their defense and that dog schedule they played. So they play a good team and a good quarterback in the Ravens and get beat by 17. Now they're playing against Carson Wentz. Eagles have a lot of issues, and it's in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Eagles win, but I never pick against the Patriots. All right, the Chiefs are at the Chargers. Kansas City somehow lost at Tennessee last week. Tennessee is on a bye this week, if you're wondering why I didn't mention them. And you're going to visit the Chargers in that band box, Chargers, Fords. Oh, no, you're in Mexico, Mexico City. City. You're in Mexico City on Monday night. How dare I forget that? What do you think of this one south of the border? I, I want to see how far Mahomes can throw the ball in that high altitude. He said he was going to test it uh, in pregame warm-ups to see how far he could throw it. It's amazing. He played such a great game in Tennessee, and their special teams blew it and the Titans were able to pull it out. And uh, I just don't see how the Chiefs are going to lose this game, even though their defense has been very mediocre. If the Chargers want to retain a prayer of making the playoffs again, they've got to win this game. It's going to be fun watching Rivers versus Mahomes. But Mahomes, man, he showed in Nashville when he threw for over 400 yards and three touchdowns that he's back, and he is all the way back. John, what about Pittsburgh? What do you think of this football team that's making a lot of noise in the AFC North? Great defense. T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree, the outside rushers, getting great pressure on the quarterback, great against the run. Their offense, James Conner's back. He'd been, he's been in and out. They've struggled to run the ball. Mason Rudolph's been very inconsistent. I picked the Browns to beat the Bills, and they did, but their offense just doesn't look good. Mm -hmm. And their defense is good. So I think this is going to be a low-scoring game. I picked the Steelers because they won, what, four in a row? Yep. And uh, But it wouldn't surprise me if the Browns don't win their second in a row. All right, the Browns are at home. This one is tonight, and we'll see what shakes out there. All right, as far as the rest of the action – I thought the Falcons beating the Saints on the road was very strange. Shocking. I know it's a huge rivalry, and it's a throw-the-records-out kind of game, but that was weird, and the Panthers are at home after losing to Green Bay at the buzzer, sort of, or at the goal line, rather. Yeah, I don't – Panthers, I don't see the Panthers as a playoff team. You know, we'd love to see Christian McCaffrey in the postseason and Luke yep. Keekley McCaffrey's evident it should be mentioned in the MVP conversation. I love watching the kid play. Uh, but I just I don't think they are a legitimate playoff team because the NFC is just too good. Too many good teams in the NFC. Are the Cowboys one of them? They're going to be at Detroit this week. Now they'll four. beat Detroit. They get the Matthew Stafford never missed a game. Now he's missing two in a row with that transverse process in his lower back. I remember Tony Romo played with that. A Baylor quarterback one year played with that. Maybe he'll come back, but. 
Uh, I think the Cowboys will win it. I'm still stunned that the Cowboys lost at home to Minnesota. I thought they were on a roll right now. They've got the talent. If they, if they, if Jason Garrett doesn't get surprised, it'll fired. It'll be a surprise after the season, though. After the season, yes. But what if they lose a couple more here? Does he do it during the year? Yeah, and then promote who? Kellen Moore. He calls the offensive plays. Mm. Their offense, they had terrible play calling at the end of the Minnesota game. Dak Prescott was playing great. Zeke Elliott hadn't been able to run at all, so they give him the ball and get stuffed and still let Prescott win it or lose. It was bad play calling by Kellen Moore. It's amazing when they were playing a dog schedule early. Everybody's talking about Kellen Moore is going to be head coach. Now Kellen Moore may be out of a job, too. Well, John, the 49ers, they played that Monday night matchup with Seattle. They lost, could have won it with the field goal kicker missing in overtime. Garoppolo did not look good to me, and he hasn't really looked great this season, as great as you thought he could. They're hosting the Cardinals. What do you think of the 49ers moving forward? I mean, they are 8-1. and They're on their way to the postseason somehow. What do you think? Their defensive line is great. They've got injuries in the backfield. I was not impressed with their receivers at all. They dropped passes. Garoppolo looked unsure of himself several times, and I'm wondering how much of that had to do with their receivers. Their receivers are and they're not terrible, but they're mediocre. Now, he didn't have his tight end, George Kittle, who's one of the best, but I think they are a – a really good team, but not a Super Bowl contender. They play the last game in Seattle. That game could have to do with not only division winner, but buys and playoff appearances and everything. But Kyle Shanahan has done a great job. And despite all the negativity we just talked about, they lost at the end of overtime. John, the Miami Dolphins, yes or no? Are they trying to win or not? I mean, you're playing Ryan Fitzpatrick, and he makes plays. Of course they're trying to okay. win. They've won two in a row. They've run, they're now, I saw a mock draft, still has them getting to a tag of Aloha because he's the third quarterback taken in that draft. Wow. And uh, could they pull an upset here? Sure they could. And it's amazing. Brian Flores should get a lot of praise for that mm-hmm. team continuing to play hard. And the Dolphins, I'm sure, you got to do that because of your fans. You owe it to the fans because they're paying the freight. But they become a much more interesting team with Fitzmagic. I mean, some of the play calling, though, John, and I hate questioning play calling because I know when it works, you're a genius. When it doesn't, you're not. But, I mean, runs on first and second down right into the line when you know you have nothing happening. But then Fitzpatrick on third and ten runs around, runs crazy, and gets a first down. Like, but here we go. Let's snap the ball again. It's just a weird deal. But I agree with you. Flores is doing a nice job under the circumstances. Okay, I wanted to talk about this blue ribbon panel you're on for the Hall of Fame selection. They're going to have a mega class for the 100th anniversary. What's that like for you being on this panel? Um, they've changed things a lot, but here, here's the way it's doing. We have a regular 48-member selection committee, and I'm also on the seniors committee. And they took, I think, 12 of us from the selection committee and put us on the blue ribbon panel with people like John Madden, Bill Belichick, Ron Wolf, Carl Peterson, Bill Polian, Gil Brandt. Uh, Joe Horgan had just retired after 45 years the NFL. Joel Buzzard, 40-year NFL historian, a couple guys from NFL Films and NFL.com. 
And uh, we have conference calls every Wednesday, and we've been discussing senior candidates. We will, there will be 10 senior candidates, three contributors, and two coaches. And originally, we would nominate them, and our regular 48-member committee would vote on them, but not individually like we do every year. It would be an all-or-nothing proposition. So then they determined last week that we wouldn't just nominate. We on the senior panel would vote on on 15 people, yes or no, not individually. And uh, we will cut these lists down, and then we will meet the second week of January in Canton to do the final voting. And it's just fascinating listening to some of these longtime NFL people talk about players and coaches. It's just one of the coolest, most prestigious things I've ever been involved with. Is it hard to pick guys, and I guess the answer is yes, from the 40s and 50s? What about the 20s? We're going back to the 20s and the 30s. We had a list of more than 200 possibilities on seniors. and How do you make that selection? Well, we have to – nobody saw them play. Right. But they have – Come somehow come up with some film. They must run like 90 miles an hour. And a lot of the guys have watched it, and I'll list them. And there's, But we don't want all from back then. Right. But a lot of people got slighted. Joe Horgan, who just retired from the Hall of Fame, has told us all these things that happened to players through the decade and the committees, uh, how they bypassed them and why. And so it's going to be difficult to pick 10 seniors from all those decades, because there's a lot. I started watching the NFL in, that I can remember 1960. I know a lot about the players from the 50s, but the 40s, 30s, and 20s, uh, no. Even Gil mm-hmm. Brandt didn't see him because he's only 85. And uh, If Gil didn't see him, you're in trouble. And then we will talk next. We'll start debating over weeks, uh, two coaches, and then three contributors. And I can tell you right now, I'll be pushing Bud Adams because – we always say on our committee, can you write the history of pro football without this person? You cannot write the history of pro football without Bud Adams, who co-founded the AFL with Lamar Hunt. So Al Davis is in, obviously. Obviously, yep. Lamar Hunt is in. Yep. I mean, Bud Adams, he's right jo- there. Ralph Wilson's in. If Ralph is in, and, and all those other guys. And there's a lot of things Bud did that I'll guarantee you they don't know that I do, that I've written about and got confirmed by Lamar. Little things like giving New York the rights to Joe Namath to keep him from going to the NFL. That's huge right there. Which saved the league. Hiring one of the first African-American executives to scour the Southwestern Athletic Conference, Tom Williams, in the 60s. He also at one point had three African-American quarterbacks, signed the first superstar, Billy Cannon, won the first two championships, lost the longest game in history uh, up to to that point. Not even to that point. It was the longest in history. Let's just put it this way. If there's an AFL Hall of Fame, it's a no-brainer he's in. Well, it's not. It's a pro football Hall of Fame. I know, but if there was, and the AFL is part of the NFL. I'm not even going to say, don't think about Bud as an owner later in his career. Everything is about the history of the game. And I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, At one point, they were uh, signing all the top college players right paying more money in the nfl and al davis wanted to go after the nfl veterans when their contracts expired and lamar hunt thought that was dirty pool and they were at a meeting and lamar said well if you agree with me you don't want to sign him come over here and sit on my side of the table if you agree with al sit over there but adam's the only one that went over with al davis and it turned out 
there were negotiations going on between Lamar Hunt, Tex Ram, and Pete Rozelle that everybody kept quiet. And when Lamar went back and told them, it looks like we're going to start going after your veterans like we are the rookies, to had a merger. So Bud played a role in the merger, too. Outstanding. John, thanks for the information. We look forward to reading your stuff in the Chronicle. Like? Like uh column I'm doing on this game is not only big for Deshaun Watson, it's big for Trader Bill O'Brien, too. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. The General John McClain joining us on Texans All Access. Patty Smith coming up. Let's talk about the Houston Sports Hall of Fame and something really cool going on with a good friend of mine. I'll just leave it at that. I think you've heard about it, but we'll share more about it. Hey, if the Texans score two or more touchdowns, and they've been doing that a lot lately, head to your closest jack-in-the-box the the next day for your free Texans Jumbo Jack with a large drink purchase. Patty coming up, and Houston Methodist Minutes, the best of your favorite injuries. It's Texans Radio. Oh, the studio is such a much brighter place now here on Texans Radio because Patty Smith is in the house from the Harris County Houston Sports Authority. Patty! How are you? I am fine, but it was bright when I walked in because the general John McClain was here right now. Yeah. yeah, that's how I describe it. It's just a very attractive kind of scene here. No, when you walked in, it changed. I'm just going to be honest about that. But we have so many things to cover, so I want to get to them all. And I know the Houston Sports Awards are coming up January 21st. I want to talk about that. But first, this Brothers in Arms that... You have helped put together with Andre Ware, Warren Moon, Vince Young, and Deshaun Watson. My goodness, what a foursome of quarterbacks. This is awesome stuff. And I talked about it a bit last week. I know you released the information last week. But this is so cool with these guys banding together for such a great cause. It is so cool. I can't even tell you just how thrilled and excited I am to be a part of it. Um, and the the response it's been getting has been incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, the traction I think it's going to get moving forward. Um, and, you know, for me, and you and I just talked about this, the best part of it is seeing how involved and how excited these quarterbacks are, these guys are to be a part of it. They're not just yeah. putting their name on it. They are involved. Um, Brothers in Arms, of course, uh, for those of you that don't know, is a um, diversity scholarship that's a foundation sort of that's being put together. These four guys, the four legendary African-American quarterbacks in sport, Houston sports history, all four of these guys raised by a single mother. Um, and so they've come together and will be presenting scholarships to kids not unlike them uh, right. at the Houston Sports, Award, sports Awards, kids that are participating in a sport and are being raised in a single-family home. I mean, you have Andre Ware, who won the Heisman Trophy. You have Vince Young, who should have won the Heisman Trophy. You have Deshaun Watson, who should have won the Heisman Trophy. I guess Warren could make that claim as well at the University of Washington, put up big numbers there before going to the CFL. So on the field, obviously, the results speak for themselves. But it's so cool that yeah, they have that in common. And they, I mean, to hear Andre talk about his late mother, you know, who passed a year ago, actually, right around the time Mr. McNair went. And it was really, I mean, what an emotional down the stretch era, mini era we had here in the broadcast booth. And I remember um, all the stories about his mom when I worked with him on the morning show and, and what she meant to him and the parenting she gave him. And he gives her all the credit. And I know the other guys have to feel the same way. I've read a lot of, obviously, and heard a lot about Deshaun and his mom. But V.Y. and Warren Moon, how did you get these guys together? How did you put this troop together? Well, obviously, you know, with all my years with traveling with you guys and the Texans, and I, you know, I started with Andre. It was um, a, a kind of a no-brainer. And he's the one that said, you know, we've got to get Moon. 
And mm-hmm. then he and I are talking about it, and um, I call Moon, and he's like, well, we've got to get Vince. And then yeah. we're like, well, the only one left, and who better to have than the guy currently playing now mm-hmm. uh, than Deshaun Watson. And everybody jumped on board without even a second thought. And, uh, you know, these are guys that have, you know, Andre has said a million times, you know, I've been wanting to do something with these guys for a long time, and this is just a no-brainer. And so, yeah, it wasn't even difficult, to be honest with you. All right, so scholarships. you got a Brothers in Arms. If you just want to learn about this, uh, never mind, apply for a scholarship. But brothersinarmshouston.com. So you go to the website. Then what happens, Patty? Well, um, yeah, go to the website, learn about it, be a part of it. Uh, But for you kids out there who are listening, this is a great time to jump on because um, we've got a short window here. We didn't want to wait. We wanted to launch this now. Uh, The application deadline is December 1st, so it's only about three weeks out. Right. Uh, You can apply, um, send it back. You've got to, you know, get a couple letters of recommendation and write write an essay on what does diversity mean to you. And um, that can be a lot of different things. So we're anxious to read all those essays. And then, uh, yeah, we'll select select um, our recipients right now we're probably we don't want to limit it but right now we're probably going to do three mm-hmm. and uh, they will be able to attend the Houston Sports Awards uh, be a part of it with these guys all four of those guys will walk out on the stage together which is going to be really cool if you look back at Sports Awards our first year when we had Earl Campbell Nolan Ryan and Hakeem Olajuwon in the room at the same time our 34s right all under the same roof for the first time ever in um, in their history, and I don't know if this is going to be the same, but it might be. But those four guys will present the scholarships to these kids, and it'll be really kind of a, a great moment. So, uh, yeah, it's brothersinarmshouston.com. Apply by December 1st. Right, I want to ask you a little bit more about the Houston Sports Awards, but before I do that, I've got a curveball for you because great. I did a Reddit talk. Have you ever been on Reddit much? Mm-hmm. So Reddit, obviously huge website, huge message board-type website, and I don't really spend time there. Right, I got enough stuff, but after doing is this my, like Bumble? After no, it's not like that. It's not <laughs> Tinder, Bumble. It's not one of those things. Okay, this is Reddit. It's just a big, gigantic message board, and there's a whole Texans community on there. And I did a Reddit talk. I don't know what they call it. I just answered a bunch of Reddit questions, and it's AMA. Ask me anything. So I'm going to ask you some of the questions I got today. Oh my but gosh! If you were on Reddit today, thank you very much. I didn't get a chance to get to all the questions. There were about 90, 100 questions, and I probably answered half of them. And it was about an hour, so I had to go after a while. Should I be afraid? No, don't be afraid. Let's do it. Because I know I've done a podcast with you talking about your career. It was great. It's somewhere in our podcast archives, Vandermeer's View. But they asked me, who is the most memorable person I've interviewed? And you know, it's hard to give one, but give me a couple. Give me two or three so you don't have to necessarily rank them. I always think this is a better way to ask this sort of question. So, you know, I got to come up with the most, my most fave. What are some of the better ones? I know you've interviewed George Bush 41 several times. I mean, he loved talking with you. Was that one of them for sure, or do you have some others? What can you share with me? Absolutely for sure he would have to be one of them. Um, yeah, that is a really hard question to answer. And I've been, asked it, I've been asked it so many times that you would think I would have a, yes. a, a pat answer. You've got to be I, ready to go and with And I this. don't. I don't because there's so many different ways to define that. I mean, there's so many guys that you just you talk to and you just either can click with and have a great interview with from a um, you know producer standpoint mm-hmm. or a conversation standpoint might be somebody different. And I guess I, my go-to answer is always my very first interview because it's your first, yeah. and it was so big, and it was so 
um, unheard of that it has to be probably a pretty memorable one, and that was Paul Newman. My very first interview every anywhere, and Paul Newman didn't do interviews. This was back in the early 90s. And race car driving situation? It was a race car driving situation, huge actor, obviously, and he doesn't do interviews, and I didn't know any better, and I was just green, and I just walked up to him and said, hey, I'm blah, 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 and, and it happened. Yeah. And the was PR, it good? Probably not. It was probably awful. <laughs> was there, he okay, though? I mean, what, you asked, okay? what's your favorite color? No, it wasn't like that. But, um, yeah, he was phenomenal. He was accommodating. Um, his team couldn't uh, even understand how I got that interview. They weren't happy about it, and I just didn't care because I didn't know any better. So I would so say— So you started young at this. This is so patty to <laughs> find a way in and do the interview. He came to me. I was oh in a batting gosh. cage. I think I told you the story. I was in a batting cage at this press event, mm-hmm. and he walked up, and he goes, how do these things work? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is Paul Newman asking me how to work a batting cage. And I'm like, well, you just put your coin in the slot, and I showed him how to do it. I'm like, oh, by the way, I'm with the Sporting Times. It was this little free paper in Atlanta. Um, and and I'd that's, love to, that's who you were working for at the time? Yeah, and I said, I'd love to do an interview with you. And he said, okay. Paul Newman. Paul freaking Newman. That is huge. Yeah. I, and he was a pretty good driver. Yeah. I always respected him for that, for the second career kind of thing. He had the money to fund it. And he still has the Newman's own stuff, which you see in the store all the time. So yep. good for him. Yep. that's. I still have the little, I did it on a little cassette. I took my little recorder mm-hmm. and push play. I still have the little cassette. And, uh, yeah, it was the – I got the front page of that little paper, and I was off and running. Did you ask him, better movie, Butch Cassidy or The Sting? Better movie. What do you think? Uh, do you really sting. like Robert Redford, or do you just tolerate working with him because the movies click chemistry-wise? <laughs> probably both. I didn't ask I any know. of that stuff. Oh, that would have been good. Yeah, no, I didn't ask that. Elizabeth Taylor. I, I mean, you have a lot of questions for lot. Paul Newman. Yeah. My gosh. I didn't ask the question that I would have asked about Elizabeth Taylor just now. Okay. Patty Smith is with us. You have the Houston Sports Awards coming up as well, January 21st. And you're going to induct Carl Lewis, who will not sing that night. Or maybe he will. Maybe he will. You might want to come. Yes. No, our three Hall of Fame inductees. He should. <laughs> I should. He really? should. He should take a stab at it. Well, maybe not. Not the anthem. Something else. Mary Lou. Is Mary Lou Redden. Your, okay. sweet, your sweetheart. My sweetheart. America's sweetheart. Come America's on. sweetheart. And Rudy T. And Rudy T. Yeah. I mean, stellar class once again. Um, and funny because when you talk about Carl Lewis and singing in this show, well, you know, I, I try to make it really special for these inductees mm-hmm. um, as far as who their presenter is, right. entertainment uh, at the event itself. And uh, so I'm kind of just asking my generic questions. I'm like, so Carl, you know, who... Who, you know, who are your, give me some names of people that I should contact that maybe would be that you involved. That mm-hmm. He gives me three names and I'm, you know, don't think much of it. And he is connected. I mean, this is a different level. So he, I'm calling these people that are these multi-winning Grammy Award winners out right. in L.A. and this and that. And oh my gosh, we're going to bring so-and-so. So I'm saying all that to say. Um, this is going to be an incredible show from an entertainment standpoint um, yep. because there's a lot of really cool people that want to come help honor Carl. It's uh, it's going to be awesome. Look, the room is always, always, both years you've had it. <laughs> this is year three. But the first two years were phenomenal. People have to go. So HoustonSportsAwards.com? Yep, HoustonSportsAwards.com. Yeah, there are some tables still available, but um, it's it's quick. Oh, they're they're gonna going go quick. Fast. So please. Great Christmas gift. Get somebody this as a gift. It's an experience. Experiences are better than gifts than physical gifts sometimes. Yeah, right? and this is like, and you've been there, and I, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, 
you know, to have our, especially the Astros going to the World Series yep. again, the Rockets, the Texans, mm. all the success, so all those athletes in the room at the same time celebrating the year in sports and then inducting these Hall of Famers at the same time and then to experience this brothers in arms moment that we're going to have. It's um, This one will, everybody says, how do you top this one? How do you top last year? We're going to top it again. That sounds outstanding. Patty, thank you very much. Oh, and one more thing. One more thing. Lifetime Achievement. Mr. McNair I know. is being honored. Bob you McNair, and I talked about this. our Lifetime Achievement Award recipient this year. I talked year. about him on Reddit today. They asked me some questions, and I was able to type some things. It was great. It was great to talk about him, and I'm, I'm so glad he's going to be honored at the Houston Sports Awards January 21st. Yep, looking forward to it. All right, HoustonSportsAwards.com. Hey, calling all Houston area teachers. You want to get some Texans football in the classroom? Sign up for Toro's Math Drills presented by Conoco Phillips. Toro's Math Drills, a video series designed to help third and fourth graders how to tackle math in the classroom, go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. Okay, time now for a little best of Houston Methodist Minutes, and let's revisit concussions here with a couple of Texans coming off the protocol. Well, Dr. Kenneth Padell of the Houston Methodist Concussion Center, I asked him about recent developments in concussion treatment and research earlier in the season. Hey, Mark. Uh, a lot has gone on in the last 12 months. Um a couple of real interesting things uh, that we're starting to pick up on are a little bit different ways of assessing for concussions. So we're adding some new tools to the toolbox to make it a little bit easier, a little bit more exact and sensitive in, in detecting concussions. A lot of that has to do with measuring eye movements and, and balance and, and how the eyes are involved with balance makes big, big difference for some of the athletes and helping us diagnose concussions more objectively and accurately. The other big thing that's um, kind of transpired in the last year that we noticed is some of the research showing that individuals who continue to play their sport after getting a concussion, even for 15 minutes, usually take at least twice as long to recover from a concussion than if they kind of come out as soon as they get the concussion. So actually, if, if athletes want to get back into the game quicker after a concussion, they're better off getting out faster. There's Dr. Kenneth Padell of the Houston Methodist Concussion Center. Now let's talk high ankle sprains for a moment, a little flavor of that. Not a flavor we really want, but let's learn about them with Dr. Travis Hansen. What's the difference between a high ankle sprain and the garden variety? Well, a high ankle sprain involves the ligaments between the two long bones in your leg, the tibia and the fibula. And they're nasty for athletes because they take a lot longer to heal than your garden variety lateral ankle sprain. We usually tell our athletes lateral ankle sprains, you might be back on the field in a week or two. Uh, and we tell our athletes with high ankle sprains, you may be looking at six to eight weeks or even longer if these require surgery. I'd say about 10% of the high ankle sprains require surgery, whereas a lateral ankle sprain is very, very rarely needs surgery. When you have a lower ankle sprain, what happens? What physically occurs? So your lateral ankle sprain, kind of the garden variety one, is sort of when you step awkwardly off a curb and you roll your ankle. You kind of roll on the outside of your foot. That's your garden variety lateral ankle sprain, which is different than the high ankle sprain. There's Dr. Travis Hansen on high ankle sprains, and that's been a little best of Houston Methodist Minutes, presented by Houston Methodist, official health care provider of the Houston Texans, Houston Methodist Leading Medicine. Well, that's going to do it for tonight's show. Thanks to Patty for coming on and John McClain. Didn't have a chance to catch up with my buddy John Harris, but we will do that tomorrow on the show at 6. Don't forget, Saturday night after the news, which is after the game on ABC 13, Texans Extra Points, Texans Buzz, two shows you need to be watching. Have a great night, everyone. Enjoy the Thursday night football matchup. 
and go Texans.